All right, y'all. I am back. Uh, feels good to be doing this again. It's been, let's see, the last time I put out an episode was back in September. So it's been, what, a little over five months since I put out the last one. But feels good to be good doing this. Feels really good to be doing this, to be honest. Um, you know, got caught up with life and um, wasn't able to record for a while. But um, thanks to a few folks out there who reached out and really, what's the word I'm looking for? Really expressed interest in in hearing from me, hearing from new guests. I'm getting back at it with hopes um, you guys will enjoy it. Um, if you are a or was, if you were, you know, a regular listener, someone who subscribed and hopefully was still subscribed to the podcast and you, you know, got a notification for this episode. I appreciate you. I appreciate you sticking around waiting for this new one to come out. Um, and I appreciate you listening now. Um, and for those of you that did, I appreciate you guys reaching out. Um, if you are a, if if this is your first time listening to any episodes of this, um, thank you for taking the chance on this show. Um, I have a lot of fun doing it, but, um, I, as I've done in the past, I'm going to, cause it's kind of like I'm starting over again. You know what I'm saying? I want to set some expect, uh, some expectations. All right. Um, this isn't like a highly, highly, this, this podcast doesn't have what you call high production quality. All right. Um, to be honest, I record these a lot of the times, the interviews, I record them on my lunch break. I use my cell phone. I use a microphone attached to my cell phone and, and I just have fun with it. You know what I'm saying? So if you're not an audiophile, you know, person who's really geeked out when it comes to the audio, audio quality of things, um, you know, I hope that you really just focus on the guests and the conversation we're having. Um, now in relation to my guests, if people, they're usually people that I'd like to speak to and hope you'd like to as well, or you'd like to hear from. And, you know, sometimes I just want to hear them tell stories. I mean, that's what our, our ancestors did back in the day, right? That's how we pass down information from generation to generation is just telling stories. So that's what this is about. You know what I'm saying? A hunting podcast, listening to stories, learning what some people are about, um, what they're into when in relation to hunting. Um, for those of you guys that don't know, you know, I'm into bow hunting, specifically turkey and deer. Um, if you follow me on social media at all, you, I mean, you have, you know that. Um, and if you don't follow me on social media, again, that's what I'm into, bow hunting, turkey and deer. And I'm about, you know, helping people in urban communities like mine, you know, New York City, um, get out into the outdoors. So if you'd like to hear that, hear some good conversation, um, you know, on these episodes, just continue listening. Um, the goal is to put out an episode every Monday. Yeah, I'm going to take the Monday spot um, put out. So look forward to every Monday morning, a new episode being put out for you guys to listen to at any time throughout the week. All right. So let's get into this.
like I said before the music, um, I miss this, especially this part. All right, folks, welcome to When the Hunt Calls, the only hunting podcast hosted by a middle-aged black guy from New York City. I can claim that. No one else can. And if I'm wrong, prove me wrong. All right. Like I said, When the Hunt Calls, the only hunting podcast hosted by a middle-aged black guy from New York City. <laughs> I love it. But seriously, I'm happy to be doing this again. Like I just said before, the music. I'm hoping you guys are going to enjoy the conversation with my guests. Um, quick note, um, as I mentioned before, I record a lot of these episodes during my lunch break. So I'm sitting in the back of a delivery truck, you know, having a conversation with my guests. Uh, Sometimes you're going to hear some noises. Um, Sometimes if, you know, if I'm lucky, you won't. Um, But this particular episode, like maybe halfway in, we were doing so well. No real, no real background noises. Unfortunately, got interrupted by, um, you know, some landscapists uh, doing some work on yards on my route. So I apologize for that. If it gets annoying, I totally understand. Um, go ahead, cut it off. But I really feel like you're going to enjoy the guest today. Um, um, his name is John Barone. Um, that's about it, man. I'm just going to go right into it for y'all, all right? Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I've got on the line with me Mr. John Barone. John, what's going on, man? How are you? How are you? Glad to be with Good. you. Good, good. Thanks for joining me on my lunch break, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, I'm excited to be on. All right. Cool, cool. So, all right. So, I introduce you by name. Um, please tell us a little, uh, a little, a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so, first, I want to say this is uh, thanks for having me on, and, and this is my first podcast I'm doing. And oh, really? <laughs> it, it is, and I, I think it's appropriate that I'm doing a podcast with a guy from the city because, you know, I'm originally from uh, in and around the city. Um, I grew up in Yonkers, which is a, a suburb of, of the city, New York City. And you know, I, I, I lived in Brooklyn for a few years. Um, I worked in Manhattan, worked in Queens. So, you know, a, a, long, a, a long history downstate and now I'm up in the Albany area. So, um, nice. Just a, a brief background from where I, where I'm from. Cool, cool. And what do you what do you do? Because um, one of the reasons I wanted to, uh, I I didn't get into it necessarily in the introduction, but um, one of the main reasons I wanted to have you in here be, is because of a role you play with a particular organization. Could you uh, let us know what that is? Oh sure. Well, backcountry hunters and anglers. Um, Career-wise, I've been an environment. I'm, I'm an attorney, and I, I concentrate in environmental law. Um, so I, I won't go too much into that because th- there's a lot of different areas and nuances to environmental law, and and, and that'll take up the entire conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, you know, I've always, throughout my career as an attorney, um, I've been motivated to volunteer on on boards um years ago when when i lived near the city i was on a the board of uh theodore gordon and fly fishers i was their vice president of conservation and you know i as an environmental lawyer i, I gravitate towards 
um, sort of outdoor organizations that, that concentrate on, on conservation. And so since I've been in Albany, I, you know, I was kind of looking for the transition of what's the next organization to really give my volunteer time to. And, and that ended up being the New York chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And, and so I've been with them a few years now. Uh, I started on their policy committee and um, joined their board uh, about a couple of years ago. Nice, nice. Wow. So it's it's funny. It's like as a, you know, a hunter yourself, you're I, I can appreciate the time you're you're giving into, you know, uh, volunteering with such an organization. Sure. And it's so dope that um, what you love about the outdoors, you actually share that within your career in terms of uh, environmental law. So that's really cool. So thank you for that. Thank you for the, you know, your time you spent uh, volunteering with BHA. Oh, of course. And, you know, it's it helps motivate you when when you like what you're doing in your career. So um, I, I've always been interested in the outdoors. I, I when I was really young, I, I would run around with my my father's expensive camera, taking pictures and doing all that of, of wildlife and, and landscapes. And, and so I had uh, a photography background and um you know, my dad would take me out hunting and fishing, and, and that's where that um, background comes from. Um, pretty young. I, I mean, he started taking me out when I was like 12, and and the Catskills was uh, a place that we generally went to for deer camp and, and for turkey hunting, although he was more of a deer hunter, so we we did a lot, a lot more deer hunting back then. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's it's fun to be able to have a career where you're um, doing something you enjoy and, and you're motivated by, um, you know, facilitating conservation. No, definitely. Um, you actually jump right into what was going to be my next question was asking, um, you know, how did you get into the outdoors? Um, and like you said, it's, it's your dad. So you grew up doing this. Now, growing up in Yonkers, you know, you're growing up to become an avid outdoorsman. When you made your way into the city, working in the city, like living in Brooklyn for a couple of years, working in Manhattan, um, did you have any difficulty keeping up with that? Um, yeah, it, it's a good question. So when when we lived, you know, I lived in Yonkers most of my life and, and my family has always been stationed there aside from me moving about. But, um, you know, being in Westchester, I, I think it was easier to jump in a car and go upstate and, and go hunting. Um, but, yeah, I mean, even access to to the outdoors, my, my parents kind of facilitated that in different ways. Like I was saying, you know, my dad uh, giving me his camera and let, letting me play around with that when I was 12 or 13. My, my mother would bring me to, like, Autobahn meetings. And so... It was this general exposure to um, to the outdoors and, and nature. Um, but once I moved to the city, you know, when I, when I was living in the city, I, I was in school and I really didn't hunt as much during law school. Um, I, I come to think about it, I didn't hunt at all. I, I think even in college, I, I was hunting a little less, more so. And I, I got back into it after law school 
Um, so, you know, leaving the city to, to, to do those things, I, I would still do it. Um, you know, I would miss going out on a hike or, you know, taking a kayak out and getting on a river or, you know, whatever it is, it didn't have to be hunting uh, or fishing. Um, and also getting involved in Theodore Gordon and Fly Fisher as well. I was still downstate, helped me uh, get outside more as well, because that was a fly fishing organization concentrating on, on conservation in the Catskills and, and the great fly fishing waters in the Catskills. So, you know, that certainly forced me to get get back into what I was doing when I was younger. Nice, nice. So I got to ask, are you more of a hunter or an angler? Oh, definitely a hunter. Um, I, I like angling, but I, you know, I, I just, it, it, it's funny. I, I mean, part of the joke when I was on the theater, I was vice president of Theodore Gordon Fly Fishers is, uh, you know, they were, I, I was learning how to fly fish while I was on their board, <laughs> um, which was great. But, um, you know, I, I, I've always been more of a hunter and, uh, th that's just how it's been. And especially when you don't, when you have limited time to, to do any of this, you, I find myself gravitating towards hunting when I have that free time. Nice. Nice. Now, can I ask what's your favorite, um, species to hunt? Are you a big turkey hunter, deer hunter, small game? What are you into? You know, I, I'll do it all. Um, but generally what I say is I, if I was given a choice, I would pick deer hunting because I want a full freezer. Um, mm. But if you ask me really where my passion lies for hunting, it, it's turkey hunting. Um, I, I definitely get out more in the spring for turkey hunting. I, I, I plan more trips around it. I, I just plan more time around it. So I, I, I get really excited for turkey hunting. Um, and then I'll, I'll grouse hunt a little bit in the fall. Um, even rabbit or uh, being up here in Albany, I, I could head to the Adirondacks for some snowshoe hare hunting. But usually that's like one or two days uh, a year uh, for some of the small game stuff. Cool. Now, I got to ask, um, because in in our emails going back and forth, you had mentioned you've turkey hunted. Um, I mean, it, well, it's understandable that turkey hunting is what you enjoy the most, but um, you've hunted in a lot of different uh, locations. Can you share with us like where you've been and what's that like traveling around for turkey hunting? Sure. Um so I've been in a bunch of states. Uh, I'm actually going to look back at one of our emails to kind of rattle them off. Because <laughs> I, you know, I, I, sometimes I don't remember the whole list here. But it, it Texas, Kansas, Nebraska, South Dakota, Wyoming, Maryland, and then a bunch of the Northeast states, Pennsylvania, Jersey, uh, obviously New York, uh, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Vermont, and Maine. Um so yeah, that, that's all of them. Uh, I, I've always wanted to travel for for <laughs> hunting. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's always been something of an interest. And you know, growing up downstate, uh, I, I never, my parents never went camping or, or did any of that. So 
um, you know, that that's sort of a, a new thing for me now. Uh, as mm-hmm. I'm doing these trips, I'm 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 looking to camp a little more. Um, but generally, when I would do these, I would try and not spend too much money on it. I, I would find a hotel room. Um, if I could drive, I would drive, but the Western States, I would fly out and I would do it on public land. Um, you know, Texas, I did on private land, but after that experience, um, I should say Wyoming, I did on private land as well. Um, but both hunts were, were fairly cheap. I, I found, uh, you know, place you you could find places that it's, you know, 500 for the hunt or, or something like that, which is reasonable when you're talking about outfitters. Um, but generally I have done it on, on only public land. Um, you also save money that way. So, mm-hmm. um, it, it's, it's a good, good way of doing it. And I, honestly, I, I have more fun on public land anyway. <laughs> Can I ask, um, off the top of your head, maybe what was your favorite state to hunt? Sure. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I, I enjoy them all. I, you know, I, I really have a story from every state. Um, and also with my background, interested in conservation. Um, yeah, you know, I've blogged a little about my hunts. Um, and I, I always like to tie in a, a conservation angle and, and look at what's going on in that state from an environmental perspective. And, and if there's any interesting stories, I, it, it's really hard to say which state was, you know, the best hunt. I, I mean, they all had some fun aspects to them. Cool. Now, when you when you go out of state to hunt, especially being on public land, um, what sort of scouting are you able to do, you know, heading to a state you've never hunted before or anything like that? Is it a lot of e-scouting or is it a, um, e-scouting plus you know, maybe taking a day of boots on the ground and um, looking around for, you know, turkey sign? Yeah, that's a great question. It kind of depends upon how much time you have for your trip. Um, A lot of my trips, you know, I I just have time to hunt. So if I plan an extra day in, I want to be walking around the woods with a gun and, and not scouting. Um, so you're kind of scouting on the fly. So before I get out to any of these places, I'll go on like Onyx maps or, or whatever other app that hunting app that there is. Um, so I'll, I'll e-scout and I'll spend a fair amount of time doing that. There, there are certain things I'm looking for on these maps when it comes to Turkey um, and I, it also depends upon what states you're going to. So if you're going out west, you, you're, you're definitely looking for drainages and, and roosting trees because it's a little more wide open. Um, here in the east, um, I, I think you're looking for elevation a little more. And, mm. and that elevation, again, tied to some type of water source, whether it's a creek, a stream, or, or something of that nature. Um, but yeah, I'll spend a fair amount doing that on, on the app. And then I'll definitely call uh, the, the state agency uh, here in New York. It's a DEC, Department of Environmental Conservation, but every state has a different name. Um, 
for their agencies that handle hunting. And I'll, I'll call that agency and I'll, I'll speak to a staffer about just certain areas that I'm focusing in on a state. I, I like to do some of my research before I call so I know what I'm talking about. I, I, I think they appreciate it too when you could have a more educated con- conversation with them. Um, if, if you call these agencies cold and, and you really don't know what you're talking about, um, number one, I, you know, it, it, it'll be a tough conversation because they'll be giving you information, which then you'll go back to the map and you'll say, oh, that's not even relevant. So you, you kind of want to do your homework first and, and then you would reach out to them. Um, and usually uh, um, some of the biologists or um, general staffers at these agencies, they're great that, you know, they, I, I don't know if they enjoy every one of these calls, but <laughs> mo- <laughs> most of the people I've spoken to have been really nice and, you know, they're willing to spend some time with you on the phone. So uh, that's the, the gist of the scouting that'll do. And then once you get out there, you, you try and figure it out. Got it. I can I can totally relate to making the phone calls only because um, like a couple of years back when I was really trying to figure out stuff, especially in regards to regulations, I was calling a lot of the DEC officers and because, um, you know, their their phone numbers are printed on the back of the, the hunting and trapping. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Reason. And I'd be like, uh, you know, I'm sorry to bother you. I know you're probably busy, but I really want to know what the. The rules and regs are in regards to you know whatever it may be or like for one one issue i had at one point was understanding the whole rule about broadheads and right. such out but um now you you've traveled you've traveled these states um how many different species of turkey have you hunted um rios miriams and easterns i haven't been to florida to hunt osceolas and um Goulds are in Mexico, and you could hunt them in Arizona, but it's a it's a lottery draw. And I don't think you could hunt them in New Mexico yet, but they are building a, a population in in southern Mexico. Wow, uh, southern New Mexico, I should say. Out of out of this three, it's three species. You you said Rios, um, Miriams, and Easterns. All right, Rios, Miriams, and Easterns. Out of those three that you've hunted was one more difficult than the other to to get i don't think so i you know i i feel like easterns are 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 tough birds to hunt um generally and I, the the states that have easterns in them i've had to go back multiple times um not all of them but um maryland i've gone back i had to go back twice to get my bird there connecticut I had to go back a, a few times. I apologize for interrupting you, but you're going back because you weren't successful like the first or the second time. And so you're trying right. to get, okay. Exactly. And, you know, then I, I've fallen in love with some of the states like Massachusetts. I, I, I'll get a, a license every year just because I like hunting there now. And it's, it's actually really close to Albany, so it's um, it, it's a it's a cool second state to hunt if I want to just pop over the border and and do hunting in another state that's local. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I've 
And I think part of the, the trouble with Easterns in some of these states is you also have to deal with hunting pressure. So when you go out West, um, sure, there's some hunting pressure, but it, it's so wide open and there's a lot of public land mm-hmm. and it, it just feels like, you, you know, even if you screw up a, a couple of opportunities, um, you always get a, a second chance generally. And, and I've been successful in all the um, states out West um, or, or the Midwest. And in the East, I mean, you have hunting pressure and, and sometimes when you get that opportunity and, and you miss or you've failed to bring the bird in as far as you need to, um, that, you know, that could be the opportunity you'll get for a couple of days because then you're, you're kind of dancing around other hunters and, you know, maybe you can't go back to the same spot because someone beats you there one morning and mm-hmm. it gets a little frustrating. But, um, I mean, once, once you're used to hunting in areas with hunting pressure, then you kind of figure it out and, and, and you figure out how to, how to deal with that. Understood. So I got to ask, um, do you prefer hunting solo or do you, or do you prefer to have hunting buddies with you? I I like it both, uh, both ways. Um, solo is fun because, you know, you're not really dealing with anyone else and and you can make your own decisions and you could screw up as many times as you want and not feel bad about it. (laughs) (laughs) There's no one, there's no one to say, Oh, you know what John did? (laughs) Right. No witnesses, no witnesses. (laughs) He did what? (laughs) So then, so that on a scale of one to ten, how good of a turkey caller are you? I I think I'm I'm very good now. I I, I wouldn't have said that a few years ago, but I I'm to the point where I, I'll practice year round in my car, and I mean it's amazing what a difference that's made. Um, just having having a mouth call around all the time, I, and I, at this point, I just use a mouth call. I, I don't deal with any other calls except I, I'll use um, one like um, I think it's a glass call and I, I'll use that if I want to ratchet up the volume and just for a change of pace. But usually I'm relying on my mouth call. And oh, that, that was going to be my next question was what you preferred. So now I did hear that before. Um, that glass calls give a louder sound as opposed to uh, slate calls. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. I guess it depends upon what you're using, too. I mean, there could be some fairly loud slate calls, but generally, yeah, that, that's right. Oh, nice. Good to know. All right. Um, I guess what I want to do to round out, uh, you know, just turkey hunting with with the season being so close we've got less than less than two months before the spring turkey season starts here in new york state um do you have any maybe tips or a piece of advice for maybe newer turkey hunters out here well well you're i mean you're a fairly new turkey hunter right how long have you been um all right so this spring turkey season will be my third season my my very first season i killed a turkey on my first day out right and 
it was like my only day out. It's like I wanted to quit while I was on top. <laughs> um, but my mentor, he called, he did the turkey calling for me all day. Like he, he basically just dragged me around. He's like, hey, we're going here. We're going here. We're going here. And I was, my job was to just, if the opportunity presented itself, to just make the shot, which I did. Right. Then last year was my second season. Um, I didn't, um, you know, harvest the turkey. But the great thing was being out there for the first time on my own, um, you know, no mentor. Um, I was on a turkey every day I was out. Like, Oh, um, were it, you? That's great. Yeah. It, it was such a rush to to have scouted, e-scouted, scouted, and and everything have come together to either if I wasn't directly under a bird or within 50 yards of a bird by the time the sun came up, um, I was definitely within earshot. And every time I laid eyes on a bird, it was just so difficult to get them to commit. I don't know if, um, you know, I wasn't talking sexy enough with my with my call right. or, um, or uh, they just didn't like the way my decoys look. So it's it's it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I mean, um, it, and and that's an opportunity there maybe to to talk about tactics a little bit. So, yeah. um, where did they so to speak hung up on you? Like, how far do you think they were? Um. All right. So the couple of mornings that I was fairly close, um, it I want to say less than fifty yards. But then, like, I'd watch this bird, like, when I actually laid eyes on him in the roost, flew off and, like, totally, I guess, I don't know if they didn't see my decoy or they saw me because I wasn't in a blind or anything like that. I was sitting with my back up either against a tree or seated in some thick brush. Sure. And, um, and I don't know if maybe he was like, oh, I see you and I'm not heading over there or he saw my decoy and was just like, that hen looks a little sketchy and, um, you know, just flew off. Um, so I don't know what I was doing. It was so uh, let me put it this way. What I've been studying over the last year since then is what calls to do and when, and exactly what each call means per se. Like, so I'm hoping to actually have a conversation as opposed to just yelping my head off you know what I'm saying, the entire time, which was, for the most part, what I was doing last year. Right, right. Um, well, usually, if you're in 50 yards, that that's sort of their radius. You're, you're kind of in their bubble, and um, you usually could get them to break at least 10 more yards. I, I don't know how, how far you feel comfortable shooting out. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, if you, are, are you shooting with a bow or a gun? With a bow. Oh, okay. So you need to get them close. It, yeah. So, I mean, hunting with a gun is a lot different than a bow. Do you, do you only hunt with a bow? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm comfortable out to 40, 50 yards max. Right. So, um, it's, I have no problem, you know, doing that, but like that one uh, particular moment, like I said, I, I had eyes on this bird in the tree and just flew off in totally opposite direction and, and I could hear him. I believe it was him once he landed, but he wasn't coming in any closer to me, and I couldn't lay eyes on him after that. I gotcha. even, I even had one situation hunting. I did hunt one day with my mentor last year, and um, we sat adjacent to a rock wall as a hen was on the opposite side of the wall. Like she came towards us and just as if she knew, "Ha ha, you can't get me," and <laughs> she just 
he continued strolling along the rock wall. And then there was a, t- a big old Tom about 40 yards away that would not come past a blown down tree. Right. So, so we couldn't. It's funny because when I when I killed my first turkey, my very first season, it was at a rock wall. So I thought we were had to we were about to have a reenactment of that. <laughs> but right. this Tom would not come past the blown down tree and he had eyes on this hen. And then he stayed on the opposite side of this this uh, tree and walked parallel to the tree and followed the hen. So like yeah. he was smart, like I'm going to stay here where I'm protected and I'm just going to you know, continue walking. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's funny, you know, Tom's will get hung up, uh, regarding with regard to a lot of different things. So I, I, I had a similar instance, uh, several years ago where we were on the, on the wrong side of a rock wall. And I guess the, the reason why we were there was because there was a field and we had decoys out in the field and, this Tom would just go back and forth and we heard him in the leaves going back and forth on the other side of the wall, but we couldn't see him. And I mean, in retrospect, I probably would have stood up behind the tree that I was leaning against and had a shot at him, but I, I didn't at the time. But yeah, they, they'll hang up over, you know, the things in their way, the terrain features, um, streams sometimes, sometimes they won't cross a stream and, and it's bizarre. I mean, why wouldn't they cross a stream? But, you know, then you'll then you'll give them a calling sequence and, and all of a sudden they'll they'll break. So, um, yeah, every every situation is different. I think in, in the situation where you could you actually get that close to a roost when when you're 50 yards of within uh, and you could see the bird. Um, I, I usually try and call quietly and not too much. Uh, like I'll call a little bit. I'll get an answer and then I'll just shut up because I, I feel if I call too much, he'll figure out exactly where I am. And um, especially if he's that close and I, I don't want him to see me. Um, I don't think it's a problem though, that you're hunting without a blind. I, I never hunt with a blind. Um, I mean, I have in the past, but I, I, I think you certainly could get away with, without using a blind. I, I guess it's a little more difficult when you're bow hunting, but if, if you could figure out a time to pull on the bow, like when, when the bird's behind a tree or something like that, um, then you probably could get away with it. Yeah, that it's just funny because um, when I, on that first hunt, the successful one, um, I literally had the cock wall. So it was a bit um, awkward, but I was able to duck a bit and draw my bow back and then pop up right. above the wall and let the arrow fly. Um, but the, like I said, it's, I guess I haven't uh, taken that into consideration, um, you know, waiting for drawing my bow back. I guess I got to keep that in mind when, when the turkey strolls behind a tree or something like that, that'll obstruct their vision and give me opportunity to, you know, get to full draw. Right. And you know, generally, I, I don't hunt with a bow, so I, I don't want to, you know, give you tips that really don't pertain to you. But, I mean, those are the types of things we do with a gun. So if I have to readjust myself, if I'm on a bird and a bird's coming in and there's not a lot 
in between me and the bird so he could see me if I move I'll wait until he gets behind a tree to to readjust myself um, if I'm able to I, obviously sometimes you don't have that opportunity and just have to swing on the bird a little more quickly than than you'd want but um, yeah I imagine it's the same thing with a bow even though you have to move a little more than you know just moving a, a gun from you know one spot to the other spot got it got it all right well you know what to, to round this out i think i'd be remiss if i didn't um touch on conservation a bit being how it plays such a big role in your life in terms of your career and your work with bha um i guess let us know if you don't mind i guess uh anything bha has going on um whether it's throughout the country or even closer to home in new york uh going on in terms of just events or oh no no projects or project whether it's projects or just um something conservation oriented that maybe we should be we should be keeping an eye out for well currently there's um there's a striper amendment that's impacting the entire um, eastern seaboard. So I could pull that up and give you more information, but I'll, I'll keep talking while I, while I look for that. Um, I think that's the biggest thing in the Northeast right now. Um, there's always legislation popping up that is important to look at and um, keep, keep your eyes on to see what direction it goes in. Um, right now, another thing we're focusing in on f for our chapter in New York is land conservation projects or, or access projects. Um, for, for land conservation, the chapter is a partner with something called the Staying Connected Initiative, which mm -hmm. is, um, it's a pretty cool initiative. It's, um, it covers most of the northeastern states from you know jersey all the way up through through canada there's about 60 partners and the idea is to um conserve land to create wildlife and landscape corridors um so i the the idea behind it is the northeast can be so fragmented with development that there's a real effort now to to try and conserve blocks of land you know larger blocks of land that connect that link together so you have these linkages and when you have these links it, it allows um habitat fauna and, and and flora so that's plants and wildlife to um to spread and and to and to migrate um you know, one thing that's happening with climate change is you're seeing a lot of uh, typical vegetation that is, you know, you'll, you'll see south of New York now, it's beginning to pop up into New York. Uh, the same thing with wildlife, um, bird species that normally, you know, New York is a little out of their range, you know, they're becoming more common. Um, so I, the whole idea behind land conservation is to 
to, to kind of push back against the development and the fragmentation that we've already created. And, you know, BHA's interest in that is then to also not only create habitat um, or to preserve habitat, but then um, facilitate access to that habitat. So if, let's say we work with some partners, we conserve 10,000 acres of land in New York, um, we'd like to see whatever not-for-profit organization that's going to hold on to that land to open it up for angling and, and hunting access, or if it goes to the state, that it becomes um, state forest that's also open to access and, and doesn't become a state park that, you know, wouldn't have the same hunting or, or angling opportunities. Now, Now, with that said, we're not going to say no to conserving a piece of property if we don't have a guarantee for access we're still going to go ahead and and um support conservation of appropriate appropriate land um but in the end the, the organization would like to see access so um that's that's a, a main goal of ours in, in new york and that'll continue to be a goal and and there are some projects where we're working on and, you know, as those projects move along the chain, you know, we'll make them more public um, to, to get more support and, and that type of thing. Nice. And so a lot of times, a lot of the legislation that we see um, proposed, that essentially comes from, does a lot of it come from organizations like BHA that are looking to address a need or an issue and then kind of like hey you you get the ear of a local politician like hey this is what's going on in our area we'd like to see legislation address it is that how most uh you know laws in dealing with conservation or any wildlife issues uh proposed that's a good question um i think it depends if you're a, a, a state chapter if you're national i think it depends upon um, you know, what states, um, and it depends upon the issue. So lately in New York, we, we haven't been doing lobbying to create legislation. Um, you know, we've been more reactive to legislation that either we support or, or, or we don't support and, and we'll provide opinions on that legislation. Um, but I don't think that's the case for the organization around the country. I, I think every state is different. Um, I'm sure there are states where chapters will uh, feel that there's a need for certain legislation and, and they'll uh, speak to their representatives about drafting a bill. And um, the same thing with national, if there's need for legislation, um, I, I, I'm fairly certain that national would um, propose concepts to to legislators um but yeah in, in new york at, at least for the time i've been with bha which hasn't been that long um we, we've been a little more reactive when it came when it comes to um i guess legislative issues got it i mean there are other projects where we're proactive on um whether it's this land conservation project whether it's uh, restoration projects um 
you know, it, it, it kind of just depends upon what the, the, the landscape looks like for the state in a particular year. Um, like this year, we, we've actually been watching legislation and, um, you know, there haven't been too many issues that we've had to jump on right away. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, that's kind of where things stand from a, a conservation front. Got it. Well, let me ask, um, I guess maybe if there was any kind of advice you could offer in regards to, um, let's say, for example, I don't know if you've heard, but just east of New York City is Long Island and Long Island. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm aware of Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> so just let me um, let me share with, with, with my listeners right now. Um, just east of New York City in, in Long Island, um, there is a deer call that will be taking place. Uh, I, I honestly don't know because they haven't specified a date yet. But um, Long Island has the longest deer season, I think, in New York State. Um, like, they run from October 1st to January 31st. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, so then now, even after this this longer season, they are bringing in, I believe the New York Newsday article um, said they are bringing in federal marksmen to utilize um, bait and night vision um, tools in order to to hunt deer and basically to cull 180 deer, I believe the number was. Right. Now, my buddies and I are like, why wouldn't the season just be extended? You know, either start earlier or last a little bit longer, maybe go into um, February. If, if someone were interested, like, uh, let's say it's me, um, you know, uh, somehow proposing legislation like who would one go to to say like hey how do we extend the deer season here in long island so that way money isn't being spent instead to you know i believe the it's forty six thousand that's being spent to to basically facilitate this deer call as opposed to you know deer hunters possibly purchasing tags for an extended season to be able to hunt longer and be a part you know i i just see that there's a opportunity um here as opposed to a money spending um you know uh issue yeah you know so i think it get it gets complicated and I, i'll say first off that bha would support longer seasons and more opportunities for hunters to help with um, deer management situations. Um, so I, you know, right off the bat, I, I mean, I, I kind of agree with, with the concept that, well, you know, why don't we allow more hunting to, to help with these populations, um, with reducing these populations. Um, the, the issue though, it, it does come into how efficient hunters are and, um, a, a study, th there's a deer management program in, in Cornell, and a study came out of Cornell, was finished uh, in, in the last few years, um, basically was saying that the, the only way to really make a difference on, on deer populations is um, either more predators or, um, or, or culling you know, and however you're going to do that. 
um, whether you, you hire people or, or use hunters, but, um, you know, not just through a, a generic hunting season, but actually having a program where um, hunters, uh, or whether professional or not, are being utilized to actually go in, um, hunt day or night, uh, use different methods to, to take the deer, um, because then you have a, a more efficient, um, basic, uh, basically a more efficient harvest at that point. And if you, if you really need to knock down deer populations, that is the, the most effective way of doing it. Now, Long Island has, has another issue. It's, um, a little more populated and suburban than other areas in New York. <laughs> So in some areas of New York, maybe you could um, extend the hunting season and, and see if you get uh, a hunter interest um, and hunters could use all, all, all types of, of means of harvesting the deer, whether it's a rifle, uh, a shotgun or a bow. I, I think in some parts of Long Island, you're kind of limited to what you can use. And, you know, if you're doing a culling, uh, a, a specific town may be nervous about not using professionals. Um, so, I, I mean, th there's a lot of different issues that come into to why a, a certain place is going to um, hire professional hunters over just extending a season. Um, so, I, I mean, you have to take in those factors but I, you know, generally saying, generally, um, our organization would support um, longer seasons, and um, I, I mean, it depends on the population, but potentially more permits as well. Um, I know some parts of the state don't support that, though. You know, in the Adirondacks, where you know you're not going to see a buck for uh, in the high peaks where you have to go hiking to find a buck i i, I mean people in that area are going to say no we, we don't want um more opportunities to take more deer off the land because then um we're it just is making hunting even harder for us so uh, you know even in one state you have to look at different parts of the state you have to look at what uh the populations are and um and you know numerous other factors nice thank you for that I, I hadn't thought about it from that perspective so i appreciate that thank you because it's it's i guess there's a lot more to it than than meets the eye yeah none of these issues are ever black and white um and as a lawyer i could come up with an argument on both sides so <laughs> <laughs> i but, hear you you know yeah. I, I'm always arguing for BHA, so. <laughs> <laughs> got it, got it. Just to go All back right. to something we were talking about earlier, um, it's the, the Atlantic, this is the striper information, it's the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission, um, and right now there's a comment period for Amendment 7 to the Interstate Fishery Management Plan for Atlantic Striped Bass. Um, I, this is a really important issue for anyone who's, who's interested in stripers. And I, you know, I would 
suggest Googling it, uh, just looking up the public comment period. Uh, BHA is putting together um, letters for, for, chapters, for chapters along the Northeast and, and individual members to, to look at sort of as, you know, talking points. Um, it's, you know, it's an important issue. And right now it, it's, it's the conservation issue that we're dealing with. Um, comments must be received by April 9th. Actually, that's wrong. So I'm not going to, I take that back. I'm not exactly sure when the comment period is due, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the end of March or early April. Um, so that's also something to keep in mind if this is something that uh, is an interest to, to some of your listeners. No, definitely. And what I can do is if you're able to find a link to it, um, please email it to me. Otherwise, I'll I'll do uh, a search I'll, for I'll where folks can look. Yeah, I have it at my fingertips, so I'll send it to you and you could. Perfect. You could and I'll include I'll include that in the show notes as well. So those of you um, who are listening, you can take a look at the plan, read on it. And before whatever the closing date is, before that date, go ahead and comment on it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. One of the things that I really like about um, being a part of BHA um, are the email blasts you guys send out you know, when it comes to taking action about, you know, a piece of legislation coming out that affects, you know, hunters and anglers countrywide. Right. Um, and, and we'll probably do I've that, been, the striper issue, by the way. Nice. And so there is, I believe it's called a take, there's a link on the website called take action. Um, does a person have to be a member of DHA to be able to do that? Or can even a non-member go to that link click on that and send, you know, an email to their to their particular representative, their state representative on, you know, a specific piece of legislation. Yeah, I, I'm fairly certain non-members could could go on and hit the, the take action links. Um, I'm just on the website right now. And yeah, I, I mean, that's open to. Seems open to the public. Awesome. So I will also put a link to that so that way you guys listening um if you want to get an idea of what issues are up for are being proposed you know to be made law you guys can take a look at that put in your information it's, it's really easy guys i've done it myself you pretty much put in your name your street address and the what it's like a letter that's drafted and sent to like your local um congressman or senator correct yeah, and it's fairly extensive. There, there's quite a few issues up here that you could take on. Um, that's on the, the homepage for the, the take action. Then there's, you could um, link to bills. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a fair amount of information on here that could be helpful for anyone that wants to really get involved in uh, conservation and, and do it in a fairly simple way. I mean, these, you know, these types of action alerts and signing on to them, um, you know, BHA does most of the work. You just put in your information. And as long as you agree with the content of the letter that BHA is going to send, then 
you know, you, you click the link and and it and it, it heads out to the the proper representative. Um, and you know, it's not always federal issues. It could be state issues too. And national will have state issues up, and, and so sometimes letters will be going to uh, state officials and not federal officials. Um, but you know, it just depends on the issues. Sounds good. All right, listen, John. Thank you again. Um, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate. Um, all the information you shared, and I'm sure my uh, listeners appreciate it as well. Yeah. And thank yeah, you for sharing, great. you know, your your hunting background, telling us your story. Great. No, I, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, you, you'll have to have me back. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, definitely, definitely. Um, it's, I'd probably, you know, in, in the coming month or so, I'd love to probably with your experience turkey hunting i'd really like to probably dive into more um i because i know you you'll use a firearm whereas i bow hunt but i definitely believe a lot of your tactics um can transfer over to to what i do and i really love to to learn from you yeah and i i'd like to hear about your, your success coming in may so we'll, we'll have to <laughs> we'll have to regroup after you have a bird down <laughs> sounds good sounds good all right, Ben, you have a great day. All right, you too. All right, folks, it's a wrap. That is it for this episode of When the Hunt Calls. Got to give a big thank you to uh, John Barone, my guest you just listened to. Hope you guys enjoyed the conversation that I just had with John. Um, all of that information that John shared with you from, um, you know, the taking action part on BHA, especially about the stripers, I'm going to put all that information in the show notes. So if you've got any interest in joining BHA, um, which to be honest, I'm a member of BHA and I've had an awesome time meeting a lot of uh, a, basically a diverse group of people um, when it comes to the outdoors. Um, I've had an opportunity to meet them through BHA and I'm lucky for that, especially to, um, you know, you know, a quick shout out to the NYC Envoy of BHA. Y'all know who you are. Hopefully you guys are listening to this. Um, those are the guys I get to kind of in a group chat, learn from, share information with and pull some information from them as well. Um, so again, if you're interested in joining BHA, there's a link there. Um, the take action link from BHA's website, there's a link there as well. Information to follow the, you know, BHA on Instagram, specifically the New York chapter, there's going to be a link to that as well. So give them a follow. Um, there's plenty of events coming up. Please, 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 hey, go ahead, click on those links, give BHA a follow on social media. Um, you know, do your research, maybe even reach, uh, reach out to to John on Instagram or um, whatever way possible or just to your local chapter of BHA. If you're not in New York, you know what I'm saying? Reach out to your local chapter of back BHA. For those of you haven't realized, I, I keep using the, um, the letters backcountry hunters and anglers. Reach out to your local chapter. Learn more about what they're about and what they're doing in your particular neck of the woods. Like I said, links to all that information that John and I discuss will be in the show notes all right with that let me just wish you guys uh goodbye um you know what i'm saying stay blessed and just you know remember respect everybody's hunt respect everybody's journey regardless of where they're at you know what i'm saying all right and meet me here next week peace <laughs>